You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast, bringing you news and opinion about surf culture, characters, coaching and competition from the team at the Surf Simply Coaching Resort. Find us on facebook.com slash surfing or at surfsimply.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 38 of the Surf Simply podcast. We're recording on Monday, the 12th of December, 2016. My name is Harry Knight, and with me today is Will Forster. Hello, everybody. Derek Dedeker. Hello, hello. And Asher King. Hey, guys. And yeah, this is the second attempt at recording this episode. <laughs> we, uh, we are currently on, on camp in Will's apartment, yeah. uh, Ruse away, so we can't use our normal recording studio. And uh, it turns out there is far too much wildlife hanging around my house. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So if you hear the occasional uh, cockerel crowing or bird tweeting in the background of this recording, I'm going to apologise for that in advance. But uh, we do have a lovely view up here, Will. And we should respect the local poultry's opinions on surf media. The local poultry, I believe, are very opinionated on the uh, pipe contest. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) What have you guys been up to? Derek, you got your bike stolen the other day that sucks, yeah man. i posted it on facebook i hate to put up negative news but i wanted to get the word out just in case anybody sees it and, uh, stolen out of right in front of my place in pilata that sucks and, that is pretty uh, terrible yeah it's it was rough i kind of felt like uh pulp fiction when he's talking about getting out of jail and having his car keyed and he's like man it would have been worth it if i just saw him doing it <laughs> i, I kind of had that moment of oh in other news, guys, I've got a, uh, a wonderful white XR that I've acquired recently. Oh, you're right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come take a is look it, at that one. Is it, is it going cheap, is it? Yeah. <laughs> it's, one, it's a 150. I'm really trying to get it off my hands. Yeah. <laughs> I had to scratch a NBA sticker off the fuel tank. It's <laughs> Michael Jordan. <laughs> oh, Jordan, sir. Yeah, I walked, I walked from Pilata to Surf Simply the morning that it was stolen and in kind of a bad mood, and I had Sinead O'Connor, nothing compares, <laughs> on my iPod, <laughs> listening, thinking about all the good times that we had together. Oh, so sad. <laughs> uh, you've had a bit more of a positive week, Will? Yes, I've had a very positive week. Jesse and I had the pleasure of meeting Heather Hudson, the filmmaker. Uh, she's on her second film now about surfing, uh, Women in the Waves 2. And they had a little bit of a local premiere um, in town in Guiones. We got to go see the film and have a chat with Heather and Joni Sternback as well, the surfland photographer who is... Um, very accomplished, I would say. She's She's been lucky enough to take photos of John John and Geordie Smith for O'Neill and a couple other things, CJ, CJ Nelson as well. And she actually produced some tintype photos for both films um, for Heather. Um, so we actually interviewed Joni maybe a year or so ago with Matt Arnie, our magazine editor. Um, so if you want to uh, have a look at that, it's very interesting. Some very cool photos. Very cool. Um, but we'll be using the interview as part of a podcast. Um, yeah, I think we'll we'll have a get that up as a, an interview special, maybe. Yeah. In, a, in a couple of weeks yep. maybe a, maybe a cr- our Christmas interviews ooh very good yeah we like can add Christmas some interviews <laughs> yeah. what have you been up to Ash? not too much the uh, the swell has been down in Guiones it's been really small for the last couple of weeks I think uh, the, the amount of time we've all spent on the longboard is, is a bit correlated with how much longboard news we'll have today <laughs> yeah. I think it's been freshly on all of our heads but uh, yeah it's been a lot of fun it's kind of nice having a wave like Guiones here which I think it's it's almost a better wave when it's small. It's pretty much a world-class longboard wave. It's pretty fun, isn't it? Yeah, yeah so I think I'm going to uh, try and pick up a longboard when I go back to California over Christmas. I love mm, it. The, yeah. the boards in Guiones are getting longer. The boards Everyone's are getting coming longer. to the dark side. Team log. Yeah, yeah. I've done too much this week, but I, I was very nice. I received an email from a listener. Lincoln Kinnicott sent me an article with Tony Hawk coming on my side from our, our, our feature last episode about Albie Lair's 540, whatever it is. Tony Hawk is coming down in my camp, and uh, he says it's a 720 as well, so I feel vindicated there. <laughs> if, uh, if Tony Hawk is on my side, I feel I've got a strong camp. Yeah. Who's been spending a bit of time in Nassara lately. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Of course, to go skate our, our world-class skate Esquina. park. You yes. know what? The skate park isn't bad. I yes. really like the pool there. It's nice tight pool. I love it. My knees, my ankles, <laughs> yeah, not so much. Yeah, but, that's um, the thing about sk- like skateboarding is so much fun, but the consequences are so <laughs> high. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I feel like oh, I'm a bit wimpy as a surfer in comparison to a skater. I've hit a reef and get a little nick on my elbow, and I'm sad. And <laughs> skaters always just have scabs everywhere. Uh-huh. Yeah. Quick roundup of the news before we go into our main features for this week. Not too much uh, actual news coming up from the last couple of weeks, but there have been a lot of contests. So we'll just do a quick roundup of those as well. First up, the Eddy apparently is going. Quicksilver and the iCal family seem to have resolved it very quietly. There was no real public statement as to what was wrong and what had been resolved. But it looks like for this year, at least, the Eddy iCal is going ahead. 
I wonder if the resolution came about because of how public it was that the Eddie wasn't running. I wonder if they didn't anticipate how much people would be upset about the contest not going on. Yeah, possibly. The interesting thing this year is that Kiala Kennelly has got herself an, an invite. So uh, this will be the first time there's been a woman in the field. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool. Um, Australia has started funding its Olympic team. All of their Olympic sports, the, the funding starting to be handed out for the training for the 2020 Olympics. And the Australian Surf Association is going to get some funding for it to start pushing their athletes. Yeah, I think the actual news title for that was Australia throwing money at Tyler Wright. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Dane Reynolds and uh, the Inertia have been having a, a back and forth. Uh, the Inertia put up uh, maybe not the most positive review of Chapter 11, and uh, Dane has responded. The Inertia has re-responded. The internet is having fun as it always does. <laughs> Beach Grit is having a good social commentary on it, Yeah, as yeah. they do. Yeah, I'll put some links to all of those articles. You guys can have a read of it. It is what it is. I I have to say I I agree with some of the original criticisms that were leveled by the inertia. And I don't know that Dane's response was the most level-headed and (laughs) thoughtful, but, you know. And uh, we actually had a good back and forth about this this morning. We did. I am on Team Dane here. You're on Team Dane, I just Yeah, I I honestly, I think the inertia is playing a little bit of clickbait card, which is not very unique for them. You know, it's not like the first time, but, uh, yeah. I don't know. Less Huffington Post and surf news. <laughs> <laughs> Final piece of, of sort of regular news is that the uh, surfer poll took place and people were awarded prizes. John John Florence won the men's, beating Kelly Slater for a second time in two years. And Carissa Moore won the women's. Strangely, Alana Blanchard's still top five. I was just about to say that. <laughs> Alana Blanchard uh, taking out Courtney Conlog. Yeah. Hey ho! Um, <laughs> probably the highlight of the uh, the evening was Mason Ho and his various speeches and backstage interviews. <laughs> Mason Ho, please don't change. Yeah, please, please continue to <laughs> be I Mason that Ho. Out. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Our little contest roundup of the Honolulu Pro took place, finishing the women's CT event. Tyler Wright beat Carissa Moore, uh, cementing her first world title fairly firmly. It was a very, very last-minute exchange right at the end of the, the final. Definitely not as good as last year. Um, pretty small waves throughout. The end of that event gives us two things that we need to wrap up. First of all, the women's CT year is over, and Laura Enover, Alyssa Cuisson, and Bianca Buttendag are all out of the World Tour for 2017. Sad times. Sad day. We're on Team Enover in Surf Simply, that's for sure. They will be replaced by Silvana Lima, Bronte McCauley, and Pauline Adu, who will be uh, new on the roster. The other thing that is obviously now over is our fantasy surfer for the Women's League. Chris, Chris with a K that is, uh, you won the Honolulu Pro uh, with 302 points. But overall, uh, photography sucks. <laughs> you won the Women's League uh, just beating uh, Jeremy's picks. Uh, so well done. Congratulations. Photography does not suck. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, we're sitting in a room here with two pretty ardent <laughs> photographers. I always uh, love the names. We've had some really, really funny names in our clubhouse, but photography, I, I would love to know the story behind that. I bet he's got like a, <laughs> a really funny story. Well, photography sucks. If you're listening, please do get in touch and explain your name. Because Asher, <laughs> Asher is a little red in the face about that. <laughs> uh. um, we've also had the Sunset Pro, uh, the second star on the Vans Triple Crown. Geordie Smith took the win and Frederico Morales from Portugal is now in the lead on the Triple Crown. That wraps up the men's qualifying series for the year. So we now know who the top 10 guys are on the qualifying tour, ready to jump into the world tour depending on the results from Pipeline. And um, yeah, in addition to those 10, it'll be really interesting to see what some of the kind of tinctured guys on the WCT do. Like, does Parco return? Does Fanning return? Because that might open up a couple more slots. Yeah, absolutely. Does Owen Wright come back from injury? Yeah, absolutely. So there's there's all sorts of interesting developments. But right now it looks as though Conor O'Leary, Ethan Earwing and Federico Morales are pretty much guaranteed slots on the CT for next year. The Pipeline Pro is technically currently underway, but they haven't started yet. <laughs> it's been lay day after lay day. Ooh, um, trials called on. Two minutes ago. Two minutes ago. Excellent. So, breaking news from Surf <laughs> The trials are on. Breaking news, which by the time I've done the edit will probably be two days out. But 
so yeah, the, hopefully the Pipeline Pro will get underway. The forecast is not looking fantastic for it, but definitely worth tuning in. I've really enjoyed a lot of the footage coming out of the past few days because obviously all the guys are on the North Shore waiting. Mm. And there's yeah. been some Connor Coffin, man, shredding. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, small North Shore is just looks so fun. Mm-hmm. It's, when it's not, it was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Will and I were recently surfing at Pipeline. Yeah, I, when it when it's this size, just off the wall, looks like such a fun wave, and yeah, all those waves in that area just looks so fun. The ISA Adaptive World Championships took place this weekend. Just gone. Uh, team Brazil beat Team USA and Team Chile to uh, take the gold medal. Uh, it's a really, really interesting set of competitions. You've got a whole bunch of people with different physical and, and mental disabilities competing against each other. So there's there's not really any one individual that can ever stand out in the event because there's lots of people competing differently. It becomes a much more team event. If you want to see something really, really inspiring, listeners, just, just go and watch some of the highlight packages that have been put out by them. Uh, I'll put links on the show notes, but but just really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah. Um, Andy Davis did all the artwork for the event, and it was pretty spectacular yeah. artwork. Some just really, really interesting stuff. Yeah. The lady looking through the barrel with the prosthetic huh. leg, and mm-hmm. it's all beautiful colors. That's such an incredible piece. Final piece of contest news is that the world longboard titles, men's and women's, were decided in China over the last week or so. In the men's, Phil Rajman beat Stephen Sawyer uh, to take his second world longboard title. And in the women's, Tori Gilkerson from the United States beat Chloe Kalman from Brazil. Again, I'll put some some of the highlights up. Less, not so much cruisy longboarding, but but more modern, uh, progressive longboarding. But kind of cool to watch, nonetheless. And on the subject of the World Longboard Comp, we got our first audio message from a listener. Yeah, here it is. Hey, Surf Simply Podcast. This is Mike Lautenbach calling from southeastern North Carolina. A friend of mine and I have been watching the uh, World Longboarding Championships, and we're not completely sure we understand the nuance of how longboarding is judged in competition. Uh, We're both huge fans of the CT, so we're very familiar with uh, the whole concept of speed, power, and flow. But how that translates to longboarding, uh, we're not 100% sure of, and it would be really good just to get your insight into how that's uh, applied in competition. I appreciate your take on that. Uh, Love the show. Thanks, guys. It's actually a really good question, Mike, and it segues nicely into a bit of analysis of the contest. Uh, The WSL is definitely moving in the right direction with their criteria of the longboard contest. Uh, In the past, it was basically the same as the World Tour for shortboarding, and obviously there's quite a lot of inherent differences Uh, in the way a longboard is ridden. So straight out of the WSL rulebook, the judging criteria for longboard is the surfer must perform controlled maneuvers in the critical section of the wave, utilizing the entire board and wave using traditional longboard surfing. The surfer who performs this to the highest degree of difficulty with the most style, flow, grace, will receive the highest score for the ride. Under it, there's a little bold section that says the criteria can be changed Uh, in accordance to what the conditions are like each day. And reading that criteria, it's it's obvious that they are making an improvement. Yeah, because it, it used to contest. just be the bullet points, didn't it? The same, like, speed, power, and flow, commitment, degree of difficulty, new and innovative maneuvers that, that the shortboarders use. Yep, and by way of that, the longboard tour transformed to something totally different than when Joel Tudor was going for world titles in the 90s. It, it, it almost yep. reverted back to... Uh, it, it's almost a relic of the 80s in that, like, oh, we're going to surf these big boards as hard as we can. So I, I thought that this year's contest was better than in years past because there was more of an emphasis on traditional surfing. The problem is there weren't really any traditional longboarders in the event. There was one Takayama team rider from Southern California, a kid named uh, Kevin Skedna, mm-hmm. uh, who put up some really big scores in the early round uh, doing basically drop knee turns and hang tens, which I thought was really beautiful. Mm-hmm. But for the rest of the event, it was more or less people riding oversized shortboards. Right. Now, I want to precursor this by saying each one of those competitors absolutely ripped. Their talent and control of equipment over nine feet is, is undeniable. But everything about the event seemed to me a little strange, even starting at the venue. Uh, there was a camel walking around on the beach. Uh, camels are not native to China. <laughs> so that was a bit strange. A marketing um, promotion work. A lot of the competitors got sick from the local food. 
the, there was almost no crowd on the beach. Well, I think isn't Hannon Island where the contest took place? Is I think it's quite remote, isn't it? it it's off the southern yeah. coast of China, and I, I don't know that it's that populated. No, and I think the idea with the WSL moving the event there was because there is an exploding longboard population in Asia, specifically Indonesia, China, Japan. But if no one's going to go to the event, then it doesn't really change. Yeah. It doesn't really change that. And you're putting it in a place that these traditional longboarders aren't going to go because yeah. it's so difficult to get to. And as far as I could see, it was pretty ugly to watch. Like there was, there was a lot of, lot of mist, a lot of fog on some of the heats. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they so. got very lucky last year. Do you remember? It was fantastic. And they had clear blue skies and real big, long period, head and a half high waves. It was kind of like the, the women's event at Honolulu this year. Mm-hmm. It, you know, just kind of small and weak by comparison. But. Yeah, which is funny because there's longboarding's become extremely popular over the last couple of years, and that's because the whole world is not populated with amazing waves. And traditional longboards thrive in those small, clean conditions that the contest was held in. Sadly, it's a lot easier to manufacture a score riding one of those high-performance longboards. Now, uh, for the listener, there's basically two schools of thoughts with equipment over nine feet. You can make it as easy to turn as possible, or you can use it, make the board a lot easier to for what's called trim, which is the surfboard being ridden from the front half uh, of the wave, the whole rail engaged. It's, it's really where you're, you're trying to lock that rail in and give yourself a stable platform that you can walk up and down on the board, isn't it? You know, Absolutely. You're, you're, you're timing it, and it, it does. it's not as simple as I made it just sound. You've got to time it with the wave and do everything at the right place in the right time. But yeah, I, I think the easiest way to describe it is when you're looking at the wave, when the full rail is engaged, that's more or less the surfboard being in trim. And yeah. when you have that rail disengaged and the surfboard pivoting around, that that's when the board is, is a bit more high performance style. Yeah. And um, it's very hard to design a board that does both. Yeah, it's very difficult to design a board that does both. Um, uh, we, we talk at Surf Simply a lot when we get guests that are interested in just one style of board. I just want to ride single fins. I just want to ride short boards. That It's a lot more productive to learn the different tools for doing maneuvers. So learn your skills. And then once you have those skills, then you can say, oh, I choose a a traditional longboard. I choose this high performance. These surfers in the event very much had these skills. So I think it was weird that they were utilizing that more high performance style, which is just not really as pleasing. It always looks kind of funny to me when somebody on something in the nine foot range is going for more of an aggressive shortboard style turn. It to me is kind of like, like I'd rather see what you're saying, hang tens and drop knee turns instead of, you know, if I'm going to see somebody getting vertical, I want to see it on a short. Yeah, I just prefer it on a shortboard. It's just better on a shortboard. But I guess, you know, to a certain extent, what you score is how people surf. And for Mm -hmm. the last, it's been at least four or five years that that, kind of maneuver centric criteria has existed yeah within longboarding and so for the last four or five years if you wanted to win a longboard contest or a longboard world title that's how you've pushed your surfing and and i i agree i think it's great that they've started to shift to incorporate a bit more traditional longboarding mm-hmm. but that's not going to change overnight you know it'll take a little while for that to filter down to how people are training and and surfing you know no, it's like chicken or the egg sort of thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Do you ride to the judges to know you're going to get scores that way? Or do you try something progressive with the intention that perhaps it might change the way right. um, the contest is, is yeah. run? Yeah, yeah. And, and over the past couple of years, there's been those examples. That uh, that kid, Kevin, as I, as I said this year, he got really high scores on a traditional longboard. Three years ago, Justin Quintal, he made the semifinals riding a 20-pound single fin. So... Although the the criteria is changing and it's rewarding that it's the event isn't really something that is attracting these styles of surfers. So I don't know how you change that is a bit difficult. I think the first thing you got to do is change the location. Uh, that China event is really difficult to get to from a lot for a lot of the surfers that are practicing this style of surfing who may not have the financial backing to get over there, etc. Yeah, I think in in some ways, it, 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 you know, the WSL should take a bit of a leaf from the duct tape international event because they're certainly the the locations have been more local. They've had Noosa, mm-hmm. which has a huge population of longboarders. There's, there was the California event at Huntingdon, part of the uh, yeah. the Vans Open, and then there's Tofino again, big population of of longboarders there. So. Uh, I I think the duct tape events were a really good litmus test for mm-hmm. how much interest is in this kind of yeah. surfing. I mean yeah. the duct tape events secure bigger sponsorship 
They have bigger crowds on the beach. They have more viewers on the internet. I mean, the market's there. Longboarding isn't just an offshoot of the big, you know, it's big brother shortboarding now. There's a, there's a huge amount of interest there. So let's start making these events where they can crown a viable world champion who people are interested in rather than kind of a, oh, who's this guy sort mm -hmm. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that the biggest problem right now is that the, there isn't a world longboard tour. Yeah. There is a single event which crowns the world champion, you know, um, and, and so that does make it quite hard. Like you say, you've got a lot of guys that aren't picking up a ton of money in sponsorship because it's not, you know, it, it is a smaller field and there's less interest, there's less uh, corporate money behind it. But if you've only got one event in the world, it does limit the number of people that are going to be able to put scores down. You know, if you've mm -hmm. got, with the duct tape invitational, it's like three or four events. Yeah, of course. And, and so, you know, you, you have individual winners, but also someone who's won the series overall. Um, that gives you a lot more scope Yeah, uh, if people are struggling with sponsorship. Mm -hmm. It seems to me that little by little, and maybe that's just the bubble that I'm living in in Guiones, and I have this newfound love for wanting to longboard more and wanting to learn how to cross-step more, but it almost seems like... You know, like we see kind of that nerdy side and the geeky stuff is getting popular in, in mainstream, mm -hmm. you know, just what's popular right now. So I, I almost feel like longboarding was like what the old guys do or, you know, it was kind of this old school thing that's now becoming more and more popular and almost meeting or exceeding that, that shortboard style that everybody wanted for so long. Yeah, I mean, if you show up at Noosa, if you show up at, at, at Malibu, if you see Santa, I mean, there's clearly a lot of people growing up doing this style. Mm -hmm. I think... You know, uh, they've changed the criteria. Obviously, that style of surfing is being rewarded. Now let's change how it's presented. Let's move the contest to a place that displays sort of the lifestyle side of, of, of longboarding. Move it to San Onofre. Move it to, to Noosa, where there's a bit of an atmosphere around the right. event. People are interested in going down there. Because at the end of the day, the WSL is a business. Yeah, and ju just make it a bit more accessible for people that are interested in this. Maybe benefit the whole industry, too. Because if, if, you know, every... Somebody that's starting to pick up surfing and wants to go in that surf shop and buy their first board, they're picking up and looking at boards that are, you know, and I'm myself included, guilty of this, probably way too small for them when they're first getting into it. Mm -hmm. So maybe if they start to see, you know, the competitions and the and all the attractiveness go more towards big boards, you know, those beginners going into that shop for the first time might be like, oh, I, you know, I saw this longboard in a competition. It looked really cool and maybe not so attractive to jump straight to that shortboard. Absolutely. And, and vice versa. You've got, you know, even f surfers like us, mm -hmm. you know, watching the longboard contest is in its own way a bit more relevant to us than, right. you know, watching John John do multi-rotational <laughs> so airs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I will never do that, but <laughs> I can cross step to the nose and hang five. Sure. Yeah. Know? It's right. not as good and it's not as graceful as what the guys in the world championship are doing. It's but attainable. It's, it's, it, it, you know, is more relatable to my yeah. surfing. Yeah, you're la you're smiling there. Where I said I could <laughs> hang five at you. No, no. I, I think no. I mean, we had a longboard session last week, and I was super impressed at how everyone was surfing. It was that was the most fun surf I think I've had Me in too. recent memory at Guiones. Was uh, all of us going out and messing around on longboards on a waist high day the other day, uh -huh. and I think that speaks volumes for the market that these events could have. Yeah. I think it's really cool that when you wake up and go down to the beach and see that it's thigh high, like, you know, with, with just a shortboard state of mind, it's like, oh man, maybe I'll go for a run or something. But you see thigh high waves that are just peeling in. Like you said, Guiones gets really, really good when it's small for longboards. And now I go down and see thigh high waves and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go grab that nine two or whatever. Like, oh, yes. So just to get back to Mike's question in terms of applying the criteria to longboarding, I mean, really, whenever you're looking at really like more turn-based maneuvers, actually the application's the same, isn't it? We're looking at speed, mm -hmm. power, flow, critical part of the wave, commitment to the to the maneuver and stuff mm -hmm. like that. There's really there's really no difference. Yeah, uh, it's just a bigger board. Mm -hmm. uh, so if someone's doing a cutback or a lip hit or even trying to do an air, you're applying the criteria in exactly the same way as a shortboard. But but then. When they're going for more traditional stuff, when they are walking up to the nose, like what, what's a judge looking for in traditional longboarding to, to so, differentiate a, you know, an eight-point ride from a six-point ride? Well, the big difference is basically what section of the wave you're putting yourself in. Right. Uh, the difference between you know, Joel Tudor hanging five and someone hanging five at the end of your street is he's putting himself in a really, really critical part of the wave. Mm -hmm. uh, for the layperson or the average surfer, the difference between good longboarding and great longboarding, I think, is easier to tell than good shortboarding to great shortboarding because you can see 
these little things. You can see how close he is to the pocket. You can see when, when these big boards are surfed in a critical part of the wave, they generate a lot of lift. There's, a lot of, there's that apparent flow of water up the wave face uh, that we talk about at Surf Simply so much, and it physically lifts the board. You can really, really see how critical it is. Yeah, it's basically what part of the wave they're putting themselves in. With regards to Mike's question, would you say if somebody's like get all 10 out, but they're not really in that critical part of the wave, but they hold it for longer, almost like we want to see somebody stay in the barrel for longer, would it be better to have a shorter nose ride in the critical part or a longer one, maybe say out on the shoulder a little more? Ah, that's where the difficult part gets. I would almost always say that the more critical nose ride. Just uh, a which shorter one, but closer to the pocket, yeah. So those yeah. guys that are almost there, they're coming off the bottom and kind of hooking the board right right in the pocket next to the white water and then running up onto the nose mm-hmm. yeah where it looks like they're almost flying yeah you know, they're almost hovering there like there's no as board oppo- yeah. yeah as opposed to when someone you know really sets the board in trim mm-hmm. and then walks forward and you can see the whole length of the surfboard right, you know there's right. there's seven or eight feet between them and the breaking white right. water and you can see that the rail's locked in it's yeah it, it's cool but it's not quite as impressive as right. those ones where it just looks like someone's just yeah they're just perched in the air <laughs> yeah in conclusion, Surfer Magazine just published what I thought was a really, really good article on the state of longboarding and just kind of how it relates to that World Longboard Contest. And it was called Let Them Log. It's a, it was in the actual print magazine, but they did an amazing photo feature on it with these really, really beautiful images. So I highly recommend that anybody who wants to learn more about this, check that out. It'll be in our show notes. Absolutely. You're listening to the Surf Simply Podcast. Okay, so we've talked briefly about the Surf Poll Awards that recently. Who watched it here? I didn't watch it live. I, I've watched some of the highlights and I, I I always find it really interesting to see what wins and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And the, there's always, you know, some occasional, like the Mason Ho's acceptance speech. Yeah. But man, watching the whole thing, it's like a three, four hour like gala event and I, I don't have the patience Better to, to see no. the highlights yeah me neither <laughs> um, but on the subject of Mason Ho one of the categories was best series yeah um, it wasn't web series specifically but I think this year has given us a strong showing of online presence for yeah. shorts you know I think Mason Ho's uh, his uh, series License to Chill uh, which was like a Vimeo only thing won he had like five episodes it was basically him and cheeseburger his, his I don't know who that guy is his sidekick <laughs> of some description um, basically those guys just surfing in Hawaii there was a lot of like off the wall there's a bit of sunset they went to Bali for an episode it, it's kind of character centric you know it's it's a lot of Mason Ho and his uh, colorful personality they did one here in Costa Rica they did do a Costa Rica very good too. episode yeah, yeah where was it I was down in uh, down around Hako and Punta Arenas. Oh, cool. yeah so I thought it'd be worthwhile just highlighting a few of the web series that I've personally been following. You know, I know you guys have been looking at some of the similar shows. I think it's it's sort of fair to say that the web series has maybe replaced the bigger budget films, perhaps. It's been really interesting, hasn't it? Because I remember going back a while ago, you know, the web clip was just a real quick release. Mm-hmm. Nobody really cared about it. Nobody really watched them. And then you had Intersection. The mm-hmm. Taylor yeah. Steele movie project where they, they sort of bundled everything to get lots of people's web clips together. And suddenly the idea of producing a high quality web clip mm-hmm. kind of really came to the fore. And from then on, we've seen good web clips. It's why we have that what to watch section at mm-hmm. the end of the episode, right. because right. literally every week there are four or five just incredible edits coming out from different people. Yeah. And, and so I think it was two or three years ago, they brought not just the best movie and the best documentary to the surf pole, but the best web edit. And then this year has been the first series because it's expanded exactly as you said, and almost like Netflix episodes, you know, we've gone from short series to these, you know, massive things like Game of Thrones. And so we had John John's 12, we had Mason Ho's License to Chill. Mm-hmm. What were the other ones? Rip Kill the Search. It's an amazing one, I think. Rip Kill Search, the Passing Through but from Reef. Yeah, Whatever Beach, that's a good one. Connor Coffin, Griffin Calipinto, that's a, that was a, a cool few episodes. And yeah, the, the, this idea of, of, of not just a single edit, but a, a, a series where you, you can allow things to develop. I really like what the web series has done to surfing because it's, it's obviously free. It's obviously promotional, mm-hmm. so it helps the guys. But I've heard a lot of the kind of the, the the counter argument for the web series is, oh, you don't get these lasting, you know, pieces of art. Well, I used to buy every surf video that came out, and I wasted a ton of money. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them just weren't that good. Uh-huh. So yeah. Now, if if there actually is a 
quality surflet coming out, you, uh-huh. you know that the time has been put in and they're going to differ. Sure. It's going to be more of a piece of art rather mm-hmm. than just pumping out modern clips. Yeah. Yeah. And actually on the subject of that, I, I've sort of decided in my own opinion, what is more of a work of art in terms of the budget or camera angles or mm-hmm. the, the thoughtful process uh-huh. compared to some of the web series that are more, um, more, uh, more promotional pieces, more like promotional, quick, quick yeah. dirty promotional exactly, pieces. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so, and you guys might correct me on this. I don't know. I don't know if you've seen all the ones that, I, that I've had a sort of look at over the year. Um, but Surfing Magazine's Enjoy Buy, have you seen any of those ones? Yeah. Um, so they go to Hawaii. There's a bit of um, Pipeline. John John's in there. Macaulay Jones. Uh, Mexico was my favorite episode. They, they released a really good one this morning of uh, kind of the small swell that we've been talking about the oh, last okay. week on the North Shore. Yeah. So those ones to me were a little quicker possibly productions lower production value just a load of cool clips thrown together mm-hmm. um there isn't, re- isn't really a story behind them there's no sort of character focus yeah. as such um but it's just a lot of cool surfers a lot of cool clips uh, yeah that's that's what it is Very i think nasty. we all like that main you know when view from a blue moon came out we didn't stop talking about it or will you didn't stop watching it for I'm about still a month watching it still every okay. day yeah <laughs> um but i think just the same way netflix is maybe getting away from that that main feature and going to taking something like Stranger Things and breaking it down into episodes, I feel like the way, you know, the world's kind of gotten into a hurry and we're all so busy all the time that breaking things down into episodes where we can break and, you know, go, we do what we got to do and come back to it seems to kind of fit all of our schedules a little better too. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think it allows for a lot more, like nobody's going to sit and watch a 24 hour movie. Exactly. But like, how long is Game of Thrones now? (laughs) Like 40, 50 hours sure, if you watched it sure. all back to as back. As long as you and feed people them still love crumbs it. little by little. And John John's 12 is a really good example by comparison yeah. to View from a Blue Moon. They both come in with really, really high production values. View from a Blue Moon is, is what, 40 minutes long? Something like that? Mm-hmm. Something like that. I mean, each episode of 12 is 15 minutes. Yeah. And there's going to be seven episodes. So that I hate to admit it, but my attention span is... Pretty much at that now, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, a good exactly. six minutes is where I start. That's all you got. After that, I just, even if I, it's surfing, I start to fade off. Um, but John John's Twelve is a good example of how a storyline can produce a, a, a more gripping series. It doesn't yes. have to be just these short clips of surfers surfing good waves. It's been amazing to follow John John. It, you know, it's something none of us will ever experience ourselves. But having that insight uh, has, has been an, an amazing thing to follow yeah um, and you know from the first episodes it was in Australia and it sound you know it felt like he wasn't doing so well and there was sort of a negative tone to it whether he was struggling he then got his injury we were able to experience that sort of process or see what he went through and then to the last episode which was France and Portugal where we were able to share him winning the world title and we you know we expect this final episode to be of the triple crown you know to have that access for yes. us to be able to see it with a high production value with amazing camera angles and incredible edits and and, and you know production there it is, sort is of really just fits 2016 it a does little bit better. Mm-hmm. absolutely yeah yeah i'm do you feel i i don't know if anyone else can can think further back but i feel like that the first like the real first web series that we had for surfing was probably 21 days the red bull one. Oh, if you were to isolate the beginning of the web series it would definitely be dion.tv dion Aegis, i would give him the champion of the web series. He was like the first pro surfer to say, I'm putting my eggs in the internet basket rather than a produced video. Oh, but sorry, I, I'm not talking about a web edit. I'm talking about a series. Ah, like an, series. an actual, like, a series with a with a structure that's following a, a, a format. Yeah. You know? Maybe Young Guns. They were free. They came with magazines. And I was going to say, obviously yeah. three. on the line with Harry, do you guys remember uh, Ward Stories with Chris Ward at oh, all? Oh, those were like amazing. The most interesting. I think they got pulled. I couldn't find them anymore, but I no, cracked they, up. At, are they still out? They, they released it as a DVD. They released uh, the whole okay. the whole collection. So I remember those being able incredible. to click on episodes, and that was a long time ago, and cracked yeah. me up. I love that. Yeah, I, I kind love of those. Piggybacking on what Will said, instead of just clips of surfing, yeah, it's it's cool and we like seeing it, but if we get a little bit of backstory of what's going on in that surfer's life, like when you guys were talking about the Dane movie, you know, I've, I've seen Dane ripping on several movies and all the time I wasn't all that, eh, I'll get around to it when I get around to it, but once I heard about the title and what it was all about and, you know, his experience with Quicksilver and, and his career growing up and stuff, it that's what really drew me into it and why I think I enjoyed it. It wasn't, you know, it's awesome to watch Dane surf, but when you get a little backstory, you kind of get invested in it more, like Will was saying, and that's what I I appreciate at this point. Yeah, I think all all my, I mean, whether they're DVD releases, whether they're web shorts, or whether they're they're longer series, pretty much across the board, all of my favorite movies, and I I think I've said this when we've reviewed movies on the show, I, I want story. 
You know, yeah. I, I I want that story and I want that that insight into what's going on. I don't just want to see someone going on a boat trip. I want to know why they're on the boat, right. what they're doing, where they're stopping, how sure. they're feeling. You know, and I I, I think like we're saying to to, if, to go into a web series it gives you that space and that time for character development and right. storytelling. Mm-hmm. It's sort of the difference between it's, it's two-dimensional when it's just surf porn and then it becomes 3D <laughs> when they give a little backstory behind it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think all those shorts that you were just talking about, all those web series, do a really great job of telling the story regardless of the production value. So I think uh, License to Chill did an incredible job giving me a picture of Mason Ho. And then the John John one as well, even though the production value is probably, yeah. what, 10 times as much? Mm-hmm. It's, the theme is still there. It's, it's kind of what's going on in John John's head. Right. Yeah. You know what my favorite web series was? And this kind of might, might not be the same for you guys, but it was the, the Hurley Surf Club Coaching. I don't know if any of you guys saw that. Yeah. Um, it was like Carissa Moore, Rob Machado, Chloe Andino in, with an episode each, and Barton Lynch and Mike Parsons voiceovering the, mm-hmm. the, whatever maneuvers they were doing. Um, Carissa did a frontside power carve. Uh, Michelle Perez's did a layback, you know, and they were just really interesting standalone pieces of, of, uh, of video, really. So one of the things we've always said in Surf Simply is, you know, that, that there isn't that culture of coaching that exists in other sports, like with, you know, golf or tennis, mm-hmm. you want to go and get coached. And I, I love that Hurley are trying to push the surf community into that mindset. Yeah. I thought there was a little bit too much assumed knowledge, like probably if you're a good shortboarder, there's mm-hmm. some, some good hints in there. Absolutely. I'd be so, excited to hear one on longboarding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my recommendation that I think John John's series 12 can't be ignored it's the, it's definitely the best one out there it's it, in know, terms really, of production value it's yeah the roof. and story too storytelling and the quality of the surfing in it is, is just incredible however my one recommendation my one episode out of all the web series that i've watched this year is the rip kill the searched comfortably numb yeah. episode it's with mick fanning and mason ho they go to alaska they surf <laughs> on icebergs and uh, ice cliff waves you know it's just it's such a fun video and you know i think that's that's part of that storytelling you get to see those two as characters how they interact mm-hmm. as well as some really good surfing in it so if you haven't watched it already comfortably numb rip kill the surf yeah i think everyone that's watched that has said man i wish they would have invited me on that trip. yeah <laughs> i think so i love the chiseling ice off of an iceberg to yep. make bloody marys yeah <laughs> it's, it's so pretty great. epic yeah Going into listener emails then. We got an email from Mark Carter from Bundaberg, Australia. He says, Hey guys, I have a question on priority in competition. While the basic rule is easy to understand, I don't understand the tactics it spawns. Remember Owen Wright at Trestles last year? I don't understand the advantage to either surfer when at the commencement of a heat they both paddle each other out into the channel. They get to a point where neither has a hope of catching a wave, but neither budge. What gives? (laughs) Uh, Anyway, keep up the good work. Thank you, Mark, uh, for the email. And it it, it is an interesting one. For those of you that aren't as uh, queued up, the priority in surf competitions, in most surf contests, you've got like three or four guys in the water at any one time. And the priority works very much in the same way that it does when you go out surfing. Uh, we've got the gentleman's rules, you know, the person closest to the peak has the right to the wave, can't get in somebody's way, the paddler keeps clear of the surfer and all the rest. The slight tweak to that is on the situations, and it's really, it's just in the World Championship Tour that this happens, but where you get man-on-man heat, just two people in the water, we have a priority system. Ashley, you quoted the WSL rulebook earlier, and the entire of chapter nine is actually about priority. That's seven pages of rules about different priority in different situations. It's uh, articles 144.1 to articles 153.10. But yeah, the actual wording of the rule, which is article 151.1, is that a surfer with priority has the unconditional right of way and can paddle for and ride any wave they select. The surfer's opponent can paddle for and ride the same wave in any direction as long as he does not hinder the scoring potential for the surfer with priority. It creates lots and lots of interesting situations. There was uh, the situation a few years ago where Joel Parkinson took off at Kira, perfect barreling wave, and Kelly was just able to slip in and burn him. There's that great photo with Joel flipping in the bird <laughs> from deep inside the barrel. Yeah. But it equally doesn't leave you with people battling for position. And the event that you remember, Mark, actually that was caused by there not being any priority at the start of the heat and people trying to battle for that situation. The one that Mark mentions 
was Owen Wright versus Nat Young at Trestles in 2015. And what happened, this was round five, heat four. It was an elimination uh, scenario. Trestles is primarily, it, it is an A-frame, you can go left and right, but the right is generally considered the primary wave. Now, at the start of a heat, neither surfer has expressed priority, and we revert back to the gentleman's rules where the person closest to the peak has right of way. Now, in that heat, Basically, what happened was they were both hustling for the inside position on the right-hander, and they pushed each other so deep on the right that they actually ended up pushing themselves wide of the left, and sets rolled through that neither of them could catch, but neither of them wanted to give up and start paddling back to the takeoff spot because they would actually give up the prime position on the right-hand peak if one swung in. It's not a perfect A-frame. Some sets do swing a little Mm -hmm. bit wide to the left and the right. Mm And it just ended up in this really weird, I don't know, some of you listeners may remember it, really weird situation where with eight minutes to go in the heat, nobody had caught a wave. But the judges didn't call a restart because they basically said, you guys were out of position, like it's your own fault, there were were surfable waves. I remember this, yeah. That was a weird situation. (laughs) Yeah, it was. It was very, very weird. So in terms of tactics, uh, priority itself doesn't really gleam that many weird tactics. It's, uh, you know, it it really actually stabilizes the whole thing. It it doesn't leave you with people battling for position. The priority system that they implemented over the last couple of years has just done nothing but help surfing. Yeah. I think it keeps down some of the angered surfers and sometimes those those little battles that used to happen before priority rules, you know, it's more of a gentleman's game now. It's kind of like golf. Whoever's furthest from the pin, it's your shot. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it, it makes it more about the surfing and less about the tactics, yeah. which at the yeah. end of the day, it's what we all want to see. Right. Well, I think um, and there are still tactics, having, having said that, you know, priority gets rid of tactics, but it changes them. It becomes about when you use and hold your priority, and it becomes more about selecting the best way right. rather than desperately trying to paddle battle for every single wave and you know four people in the water all trying to be in the right place at the right time and not getting each other's way now it's just so much more about okay well he's in the lead and i've got priority so i need to be selective with which wave i get it turns it you know turns it into a bit more a chess game it's it's Mm -hmm. cool and more spectacular too and maybe somebody gets that that last ride to win the heat when they didn't have priority it's kind of it's cool to see someone sneak over and snag one you know further down the point or something when they Mm -hmm. didn't have priority and that's the wave they needed to win the heat yeah absolutely uh our next question comes from noel lapierre who's a former guest of ours and has again done us the great service of sending us in an audio question Hi guys, this is Noah Lapierre from Boston, Massachusetts. I have a two-part question related to the same topic, getting your weight far back on the tail to facilitate cutbacks and snaps. I live in a cold climate, so most of my surfing involves wearing boots, which really limits my ability to feel where I am on the board, even with a tail pad. Any tips for getting a sense of how far back your back foot is? Looking down after takeoff seems to be a bit of a challenge. And speaking of getting your weight far back, I've heard some board shapers refer to certain shapes as favoring surfers who tend to be front leg heavy. Can you explain the design elements that make this shape better for someone who tends to be more front foot oriented? Thanks, guys. So that's that's one quite easy question and one really hard question. (laughs) (laughs) In terms of feeling where your foot is, you mentioned the tail pad on your board, Noel, and, and that is the most useful thing you know even through a thick pair of booties hopefully you can feel the difference between the arch in the middle of the pad and the kick at the tail uh, and you know particularly for shortboarding you know i want that foot jammed right back against it if your boots are so thick soled and i guess all the way up in the northeast there maybe <laughs> it's always a possibility uh, that you you really can't differentiate the feel between the the pad and the deck of the board it's going to be tricky but what may well work is to take the board, put it on a carpet or, or, you know, a yoga mat or something, put your boot on, and then on dry land where you can really focus your attention on what's happening, press the boot down onto the deck of the board, onto the center of the pad, against the kick, against the arch, and then start to get a feel for what it feels like in different places. And I I think even through a fairly thick-soled boot, I would say that you should still be able to feel the differences between those three. Yeah, I would agree, and I would say even some... You know, all tail pads are kind of designed differently. I, I'd, I'd say one with a really high kicker at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, so if he puts that back foot back, even if it's nice and kind of slided across that track pad, boom, kind yep. of like the way a pitcher has that that spot to push off on the mound, like it, you'd feel it against the back foot a little bit. Yeah. 
for those people that are riding boards that don't have a tail pad or you know aesthetically you'd rather not put a tail pad on the board it's a little bit more complicated but one trick that does work is to just get a big chunk of wax and uh, soften it up a bit roll it between your hands and then you can sort of squeeze a sausage of wax down mm. in the right position again exactly the same thing you can kind of slide your foot back until it hits that sausage of wax <laughs> um, you do need to make sure it goes down well though if it's not put in place really really firmly against the deck of the board it will just kind of come off quite quickly so you do want to go down firmly against the sausage you do want to go down <laughs> firmly against the sausage we yes. don't need to put that in <laughs> i just thought i would say it <laughs> On the second point, in, t- in regards to front-footed and back-footed surfing, uh, that is actually quite a difficult question. Firstly, just because there are two definitions of front-footed surfing. Um, back-footed surfing is really simple. It's guys that are sitting lots and lots of weight back, really forcing their, you know, powering through the turns. Uh, lots and lots of control, lots and lots of spray. Easy. Front-footed surfing is then kind of divided into two ways. And the first is into guys that are surfing with the tail a little bit more loose as they go up and hit the lip rather than driving through the fins they'll tend to bring their weight over their front foot in order to release the fins and slide the tail guys like uh, say Philippe Toledo uh, would be a real good example of, of that sort of style of surfing yeah the image that just sticks out in my head in regards to that style of surfing will be how John John basically puts his front foot all the way to the nose on some of those tail releasing maneuvers yes. Yeah, exactly that. Now, the the other definition of a front-footed surfer is what we very often see with an intermediate-level surfer, where they haven't learned to bring their weight back onto their back foot, and therefore the board is being turned more from the center. The turns that they're doing are a bit more trim than carve. So when a shaper advertises their board as being you know suitable for front-footed surfers, it, they could be approaching it from either of those directions. It could be approached from a we're making this board really, really easy to release the tail. We're going to make the tail fly out really nice and easily. Or it could be done from a, we're going to make this board easier to turn without maybe needing to be so aggressive. If someone's a bit more tentative in terms of bringing their weight back, we're going to make the board easier to turn. That's such an interesting point because a lot of the times when shapers are describing their boards, I feel like they don't use as much vocabulary as they could. Yes. Like saying that, a fr- like saying this board is suitable for a front-footed surfer, like that just doesn't <laughs> tell you enough about the surfboard. Yeah, exactly. So uh, in, in terms of that, if you wanted to make a board easier to turn from the front foot, you could maybe bring convex bottom, like a V-bottom or a double concave, and run that more under the front foot than under the back foot. That would help the board turn. You could maybe put a little more rocker into the back half of the board so that with less weight on the back foot the board will still pivot nicely yeah i think specifically that continuous rocker on the surfboard yeah rather than a flip in the nose and the tail would be really helpful for that absolutely for the more sort of advanced tail releasing sort of front footed surfing uh, sometimes a bit more surface area on the bottom of the board uh, to allow the board to sort of skim and skate again a lot of rocker in the tail but in this case rather than the continuous that you were talking about asher we'd, we'd want more of just a flip to, to get those fins clear of the water when you want to release and i've always found that a flatter deck in the in the second uh, example you gave is a bit more helpful for front-footed maneuvers. Mm-hmm. When there, you have a flatter deck, it's just a little bit more surface area uh, for your foot to kind of grip against. Yeah, and that's probably more of a personal preference thing. Now that I say that, <laughs> it's probably more of just a comfort thing. There's, there's honestly probably no empirical evidence uh, as to why that would be helpful. It's probably just you know, my yeah. preference. Well, I hope that answers the question, Noel. And if any other of you listeners would like to send us a question, please, please do. You can email podcast at surfsimply.com. Or if you want to uh, appear on the show like Noel and Michael have done this episode, just record your voice into your phone and email us the file. Okay, final thing for this episode is, as always, our What to Watches. Uh, We've had quite a few recommendations from Will already, and you can check those out in the show notes. But just more recently from this last week, uh, anyone got any recommendations? Ash? Yeah, I I really enjoyed a video that Corey Colapinto released. It was sort of his highlight reel over the past year. Just because I was harping so much earlier on the difference between traditional longboarding and high-performance longboarding, I think Corey's a really good example of what you can do with a heavily glass single fin longboard that is it still includes radical maneuvers and utilizing the front half of the board to as, as best that you can. So mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. Awesome. Well, did any of you watch the third episode in the Billabong Board Tales? 
Yeah. Oh, with Andy Irons. Yes, yes. So it, it was Bruce Irons, Joel Parkinson, and uh, Lindy Irons all in Andy Irons' garage or garage to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and cool. they claim it's not really changed since Andy passed away. And so they were they had the chance of looking through some of his trophies and his jerseys and boards and talking about the stories that related to them or, or anything funny that they could recall. Yeah, we've been talking about uh, you know web series and the the. the Billabong board stories is really, really coming into its own. Isn't yeah. it? They produce some really good ones. I think I've recommended that. I think that's been my what to watch for the past three podcast episodes, actually, the Billabong board stories. Yes. So, <laughs> um, just assume next week it's episode four. <laughs> <laughs> um, but back to the Andy Irons Garage thing, there was a, 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 I won't give it away, but there was a really funny old movie of Oki and Andy uh, playing golf. Um, and it seems like Andy's look isn't, isn't particularly <laughs> good when it comes to playing golf or even making sure his clubs don't break so um, just go have a look at that it's, it's he's, he's a man who liked to break surfboards I can imagine him bending a club over there. oh no it's not, not nothing to do with that it involves, it involves a golf cart and a rope ah. um, but not he didn't do it on purpose so go have a look I've noticed that Bruce Irons is going with the peroxide blonde hair look. Yeah. Really? Back to the 90s. Yeah. 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 He looks a little like Slim Shady. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's on purpose. He's a big Eminem fan. Oh, maybe. How about you, Derek? Um, I'm going to double down on what Will was saying before and go with John John's 12. Yeah. This, yeah. Uh, this was must actually... See. This, this episode put a little bit of a lump in my throat, I have to say. Like, the, the, this is the one where he wins his world title. Yeah. And yeah. Y- you follow that through, and I, I watched it kind of expecting that. But I liked that uh, during the episode, it also showed his sort of homecoming, you know, and the, the parade that, was, that Hawaii That was what on. put the lump in my yeah. throat. It was, yeah. He didn't seem to know that that was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. that what local a, pride. Yeah, I mean, what a way to come home. Mm-hmm. That'd be insane, wouldn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, my recommendation is called Desert Escape. Uh, it was released just a couple of days ago. It is a real cool short from a couple of guys out in Western Australia. Really, really remote left-hand point break. They seem to be in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Uh, this amazing wave, blue water, like sandy colored desert. Uh, it's all shot from, I assume, a drone in the air and then from a water photographer. But just this big, gnarly, barreling left point break. It looks yeah. awesome. great. Fair play to that water photographer swimming around in West Oz. That's tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cold, sharky. Oh, it doesn't look fun. You. It doesn't look fun. But, uh, yeah. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that is all for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please, please do get in touch. Let us know your thoughts and your opinions and your questions. Uh, but for now, from all of us here... Bye-bye. Bye. Ciao, guys. That was the Surf Simply podcast from the Surf Simply coaching resort in Costa Rica. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses for experienced surfers and technical coaching for entry-level surfers, go to surfsimply.com.